Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey everyone, this is Editor Chris with a quick uh, explanation and apology. Turns out while we were recording this week's episode, Dylan had some technical difficulties. His mic's been on the fritz, so we ended up recording through his computer microphone. So if Dylan sounds like he's speaking through a few layers of fabric on a stormy day. That's why. Hopefully that will be resolved. He's looking into some microphone upgrade possibilities. And worst case scenario, we will hopefully have his current mic working properly for our next episode. But just wanted to throw that out there. We both uh, feel sheepish for not catching it, but it is what it is. And hopefully it will be fixed in the future. Ta-ta! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're back from an involuntary, scheduled-based week off, but we're here. Sorry Um, about that, everybody. Life's weird right now. It is how it is, and it do what it do. Yeah, it it be what it be, and I'm just going to keep talking until... It be like that when it be like that, and sometimes it do be like that. But right now, we're here, and we're going to talk about something, uh, something that is slightly more topical at least in in origin in my brain than our usual stuff mm-hmm. uh hey dylan how do yes. you feel do you like to watch movies with samurai in them you know that that's the worst question you could have asked me because i actually haven't seen a lot of movies with samurai in them do you like to play games that try to feel like movies with samurai in them i like the manga vagabonds <laughs> <laughs> So the manga Vagabond by known mangaka uh, Takehiko Inoue. Inoue. I don't know any of the things you just it's, said. I'll I'll tell you about it after we yeah. record. It's actually really good. But anyway, uh, but this this dumb intro is because the impulse for this episode came from the recent gameplay reveal for the upcoming game Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima is being developed by Sucker Punch for the PlayStation Four. It's coming out in July, and it looks. Very cool. It is a samurai game in the style of... It honestly, the the gameplay footage Dylan put me in mind of, like, Sekiro of the Wild. Yeah, I could see that. Like, um, it's... It makes me think of the manga Vagabond by Takehiko. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm just not going to pronounce his... Flawlessly name, executed segue. I, well, I sent you a, an image. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes, panel, absolutely, like 100%. I'm reading all of this now. It's it's really good. Um, well, again, we'll talk more about it. Yeah. Actually, we might talk about it during the course of this episode. So. We might. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so it is a it is a samurai game. It is set in, I don't know how historically accurate, but some interpretation of feudal Japan. 
you play as a wandering warrior in this big, beautiful open world. Uh, the world design and the way that they were shooting it very much made me think of Breath of the Wild and the way that that game focuses on, like, kind of panoramic views of the world around you. But I noticed something that kind of gave me pause in this gameplay footage. So the first thing they show off is they're talking about how they wanted it to be a game about exploration, but you can't, and like, I think the quote from the game developer is something like, you can't have exploration if you don't have curiosity. And they demonstrate this by this touch where, like most open world games, you have a world map you can open up and you can like put down a pin of like, I want to go to this, you know, dot on the map. And the way that this is demonstrated in game when you close out of that, that world map is that you don't have like a pip on your mini map you don't have some pillar of light in the distance instead it changes the direction that the wind blows and so to get to where you want to go yeah to like to get to the point of interest for you on the map you have to follow the wind and i loved that i thought that was such a cool way of diving into navigation and they also point out like you will see pillars of smoke on the horizon or like a fox might trot up to you to try and show you the direction to a shrine or like they're building all of these methods for navigation into the world of the game. They are making the navigation elements of the game diegetic, which is a term we've talked about before, but it basically means like part of the fictional world. Yeah. So like the simplest example of this is like music in a movie if there is music playing in a movie and it stops when a character like hits the stop button on their tape deck, that music is diegetic. Even if it was being yeah. layered in in post, it is implied to be music that is playing in the world of the movie. As opposed to like an orchestral soundtrack under an action scene, that's non-diegetic. The characters are not hearing that soundtrack. So Ghost of Tsushima seems to be going for a very diegetic sense of like conveying all of this information about navigation and about helping the player find where they're going. And that's cool. I think that's very interesting. But then I ran into this moment where they move to a section of the gameplay demo about combat and they have the character uh, ghost like wandering up to this Mongol base and suddenly these like attention indicators pop up on screen. And this is something you see in tons of games. I've been playing... Uh, the Assassin's Creed games again recently, and they're all over that, where, like, it informs you that a, somebody is watching you by, like, a UI item popping up on screen and starting to fill up as they become suspicious. Mm -hmm. And in almost any other game, I would not have thought twice about that. I would have seen it and gone, oh, that's what the UI looks like. Okay. And then just uh, accepted that. Right. But because of how much Ghost of Tsushima had been focusing on making all of the navigation stuff diegetic when that happened in that section of the gameplay it, it demo, stuck it, like, out to you. it stuck out to me. It, it like, I couldn't stop focusing on those non-diegetic UI elements as they started to pop up. Okay. And it was, it was weird. Cause like, like I said, you know, something like that happens in almost every game with a stealth focus nowadays. I, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying though. Like they, they put so much effort into the, did that stick out to you when you played breath of the wild? No. I guess, I I guess think... because it's a lot more understated. In Breath of the Wild, it's just a little question mark that pops up over... Yeah, and in, in, 
in Breath of the Wild, and I think that's that's kind of getting to what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this balance because every game strikes some level of balance between diegetic and non-diegetic UI or conveying information to the player either through diegetic stuff in the game world or through the non-diegetic user interface. And Breath of the Wild's a great place to step off into that because Breath of the Wild didn't bother me with that so mm -hmm. much. And I think part of it is, like you said, uh, rather than getting a big old, like, somebody's looking at you from this direction kind of arrow popping up, you get a question mark over, like, the Bacoblin's head as he spies you over the horizon. And that is definitely a non-diegetic element, but also because of the style of Breath of the Wild, I could see that being, like, in this universe, because it's kind of cartoony, when people... Like, it would be like in uh, in Metal Gear if you just assumed that, like, the booty uh, exclamation point actually appeared there. Yeah. Like, it kind of fits the aesthetic of the world in Breath of the Wild in a way that didn't make it jump out as much. Yeah. Like, it's, I don't want to say, like, characterization, but, like, it kind of, it feels more like a display of emotion. Yeah. Rather than, like, a heads-up display giving you information that you, the player, need to know. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I think... One of the things that Breath of the Wild does that I think is really cool is they have an option where you can determine how much UI you want. So you can have, like, a little thing that shows you how hot or cold you are, and I think there's a map? I don't remember. I, I always play Breath of the Wild in the, like, cinematic mode or pro mode or whatever it is they call it. Yeah, master mode, I think. No, that's the difficulty setting. Yeah, but you can go in and, like, toggle how much UI you want. So if you want it to be a more diegetic experience, you can. And mm -hmm. one of the things that Breath of the Wild does really well in that is, like, all of the information that is vital, you can get diegetically. So, like, one of the pieces of user interface that's there, if you have it on, on the normal uh, UI setting, is a little thermometer that tells you... You know, it's got displays of, like, where the danger zone is where you're going to be getting hurt because it's too hot or too cold. But if you turn that off, you can still tell because if it's cold enough that Link is going to start taking damage, he's also going to start, like, shivering and rubbing his arms yeah. when he's idling. And if it's hot enough, similarly, he's going to, like, pant forward and start to visibly sweat. So they, they work this information into his idle animations, which is a very elegant way of doing that. I don't know. I'd... I think they also, uh, when, when Link is, like, cold to the point where he'll start taking damage, they also, like, the snow intensifies. Yeah. Like, like the weather effect intensifies. There's little touches like that that just help it, you know, you can understand what's going on without the need of UI. Yeah. And I, I want to I make clear that I'm not saying, like, I think the Tsushima UI is bad. That is not at all right. the case. I think it's like having rewatched that gameplay footage again because I thought it was a fucking cool looking game. I think it's genuinely a very good UI system. It, it's, it is minimalist and I like that. It's not messy. It's not cluttered. But I think that the what stuck out to me was how weird it was to go from you know where you're going by following the wind to you know who's watching you by a white bar filling up. Yeah. And I think that that brings me also to kind of the other extreme of like, it's all diegetic is another game I've talked about a lot on the show. It's Thief the Dark Project. Hey, there we go. That game is basically Rocks nothing. Your socks. <laughs> uh, it's basically nothing but diegetic information. 
the one bit of non-diegetic info you have is you are given a little like gem on your on the user interface that shows you uh, how visible you are by like how bright it is is how in the light you are essentially. However, you can also tell that basically exactly as efficiently by looking at how dark the shadow that you are standing in is in is on screen. Similarly, there's no like loudness indicator. It's just you can hear your footsteps. So you know how loud your footsteps are. Mm -hmm. And there's no indication of like a guard is seeing you from this direction because part of the, the challenge of the game is keeping track on where the people around you in space are. So that's kind of because the assumption is they're going to see you if you are too loud or too in the light, you don't need those kinds of directional indicators to tell you. So I was I was just thinking about this. And this is this is getting like slightly off topic and looking a little toward uh, towards the future. But Chris, did you see that very uh, clinical and possibly a, a little too dry for a lot of gamers uh, breakdown of the PS5's specs and the new technology they're introducing? I did not. I remember hearing you talk about it. That was a, that was like a month or two ago, right? That was a month or two ago. Yeah, yeah. they were like people were like, "Oh man, it's the PS5 grand unveiling," and it's like, no, it's it, it's for developers to show them what they can expect like what new toys they can expect to play with yeah because i mean they were advertising it as a tech demo right yeah it was it was definitively a tech demo it was you know it was for developers like it was a showcase of like here's some of the new technology we're introducing with ps5 not here are a list of consumer features and also games because we know you gamers love games Mm -hmm. um but that's not my right gamers I feel like maybe like certain outlets kind of hyped it up a bit more than they should have, but um, I mean, I'm not going to point fingers. That's yeah, that's in the past now. But one of the more interesting things was, uh, and I would have to look this up again for like a detailed overview. But basically, a software thing they were going to try to introduce was the impression of real time, like 360 degree sound. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, so listeners, uh, feel your ears real quick. If you're wearing headphones, don't don't worry about that. But like, <laughs> basically, your ears your ears have ridges, and like those ridges exist because when sound waves hit those ridges, um, the way they bounce off of the the way they bounce off of those ridges into your ear is supposed to give you an idea, an impression of where that sound is coming from. Yes, indeed. And so the the sound is like distorted in like very tiny imperceivable ways that give you that sense um and so what the ps5 is trying to do is that the ps5 is trying to create a system or an algorithm that can take a sound and distort that sound based on where a character is in relation to you that Um, sounds really fucking cool yeah so it's it's this idea of um 360 degree sound without the need for wearing headphones or without you know if you're just listening if you are just having the game's audio play through your TV speakers, you can still get that idea of, oh, there's an enemy, there's an enemy um, at like five o'clock or whatever. That would be really cool. I am immediately skeptical. I am skeptical too. Just because like, like, like that, that technology already kind of exists. They, they are, there are microphones that are sold that are called diurnal microphones mm-hmm. and the higher end models come, it's like two stereo microphones that are paired and they are set in 
I don't know what the material, some kind of like rubber cast molds of human ears. Okay. So that, like, these are popular among people who do ASMR, but I also, uh, I met a few podcasters last year who use them to create their shows because they they are used to create that same kind of thing where if you listen yeah. to audio record, recorded on a diurnal microphone through stereo headphones you will get that sense of 3d space of where the sound is coming from and it's really cool and the illusion is completely gone if you don't use it with headphones mm. you kind of get it in surround sound like if you've got a good surround sound system in like your car you'll kind of get the effect but if but, it's just from the t well maybe i'm overselling it then. yeah like and, but, and i think you know, that, that's sorry, the idea ahead. is cool and if they are if they are figuring out a way to provide that kind of distortion that would be effective at fooling you even though the sound's all coming from one way, like yeah. that sounds rad. And I would yeah. love to play a stealth game that was able to make full use of that. It would be really cool. Um, but again, like there's there's no telling about that. But um, but if that were the case, do you think that would be an effective way of kind of keeping things diegetic? I think so. And I, I it would it would depend entirely on the game. It would depend entirely on implementation. Right. And. The other thing to consider is that things, elements of UI like that are also, especially something like that, if we develop into the world of, like, flawless 3D audio coming out of a TV, that would be great. I would hope that developers would still include that kind of directional HUD uh, or, like, heads-up UI oh, yeah. like, as an option I for an accessibility point of view. Of because, like, boy howdy, an, a, a stealth game that you can only play if you can hear... I don't, I don't much care for that. Yeah, yeah. Like w when I say all this, I yeah. of course mean this as like you know, in addition to yeah, the like a toggle, a toggle have. thing. Yeah, um, yeah. This this is going to sound goofy, and I'm bringing it back to Vagabond. Please forgive me, Chris. No, go for it. I'm, ex I'm excited things. to know the uh, the Virgil in Vagabond is a death in youth swordsman. I love that, and he's awesome. I'm going to send you pictures after. Please this. do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just like I, I think that on the other end of things, and again, this is because I've been playing Assassin's Creed, but I want to talk about Assassin's Creed because Assassin's Creed does a really cool thing where all of the heads-up display elements, all of the like mini-map and all of the attention indicators are diegetic. Mm -hmm. Because Assassin's Creed, the conceit of the game is that you bland man in 2012 Desmond Miles are plugging yourself into a computer to witness the experiences of your ancestor. And so while, like, while Altair ibn Ahad in 12th century Jerusalem did not have a mini-map, Desmond Miles reliving those memories and playing through those memories does. He's totally allowed to have a mini-map. Yep. And I thought, like, as goofy as Assassin's Creed is, and Assassin's Creed has heavy goof, it is a really elegant way of kind of justifying these quality of life features mm -hmm. in a in an otherwise very realistic game. And it also leads to very cool things where like the camera angle in Assassin's Creed is and I I I tweeted a whole shitload about this and this is a little bit off topic but I want to rant about it here too because I think it's really cool. Okay. Uh all of the cutscenes 
And this was a big thing in, like, this period of, like, late 2000s, early 2010s, where, like, games wanted to be as, like, quote-unquote immersive as possible with the technology they had. Most of the cutscenes, you retain control over the character. You can still walk around as the cutscenes are going on. Nowadays, that's criticized as being part of a walking simulator. Yeah, which I don't cop to that argument either. Uh, Right. But it's definitely, like, this, this idea has fallen a little bit out of favor. Uh, but it was kind of everywhere at this point in game design. But what what's interesting is that you you can move around and you have limited control over the camera, but the direction the camera's facing stays the same. So like you can pan up or down or tilt left or right a little bit, but the game is keeping the action that it wants you to see in frame. And so as you move around, you have control, but only a little bit. The game is making sure to like maintain some amount of cinematographical like agency, which is great because it also allows them to like put cinematography and like intentional shot direction into these semi-playable cutscenes. So like as you're playing this game, there are characters that are actively either being deceived or trying to deceive you, and almost all of those are shot at a slight Dutch angle. Oh man. Even though you can like you can tilt or you can pan the camera a little bit, you can't adjust the angle of it. And it it will compensate for wherever Altair is and whatever angle it's having to shoot at to remain at that slight Dutch angle, which, yes, it's on the nose. Like, that's not subtle filmmaking symbolism. No. But it is cool. And and the fact that, again, that camera is a diegetic force for, not for Altair, but for Desmond, that adds a whole other layer there. I, th- I just, mm. I think that I wouldn't have felt right talking about this kind of like divide in game design ideas without talking a little bit about Assassin's Creed because like it's right there on the tin. I got you. Um, I'm trying to think of like personal examples of diegetic games and like I play video game ass video games. (laughs) So I don't have a lot of those, unfortunately, but I guess like I think it's cool, you know, thinking about like Dead Space, how the entire like Isaac's health and stuff ammo count and everything is on his back oh yeah yeah yeah, or, yeah. and like the the ammo count is like a projection up off yeah. of the gun that is angled for him to see it but also for the audience to see it i'd forgotten yeah. about that yeah it's a really cool touch um actually resident evil as well like the entire um heads up display is only visible when you when you pause at least in the old school games i yeah. can't remember i don't think it's that case in Wait, Holy shit, how actually, could we not... We, yeah, Resident we, Evil 2 Remake and Resident Evil 7. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, yeah. we can't not talk about the fucking Atache case. I, I thought about mentioning that, but I was also thinking about the rest of Resident Evil 7's, or Resident Evil 4's UI, and I'm like, is is being able to fit a rocket launcher in an Atache case really diegetic? No, it is still an abstraction, definitely. Uh, just to, to contextualize this for those of y'all who haven't played these games... Okay. Uh, the assassin or bleh, the Resident Evil games feature like as part of their whole game design idea of like resource management and scarcity. You have to manage like what you can carry pretty manually and pretty uh, granularly to the point that like in and Dylan, correct me if I'm wrong. This might ju- I'm most aware of it in FF in, in uh, Final. I know what games we're talking about. <laughs> that was a, that was a wonderful set of noises you yeah. just made. I'm most familiar with it in Resident Evil 4, but 
in Resident Evil 4, you actively have to make sure that, like, everything that you want to carry with you can fit. So, yes. like, each of the items takes up a certain, like, 2x4 or 1x2 or 1x6. Yeah, like, you're playing Tetris with your items, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's with your inventory. Yeah, and, like, that is towing the line. Yeah. Because that is 100% an abstraction. Yeah. However, that kind of nod to, like, the diegetic quote-unquote realism, I guess verisimilitude is a better word here, of, like, actively making that aspect of, like, you can carry it with you if you can figure out how to carry it with you. That's a cool nod to, like, the ideas that they were playing with in those games. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's that's about it for what I had to, to bring to the um, table on this. But I wish I, I wish I could contribute more, but I, I really enjoyed hearing you talk. Yeah, I mean, you were, I you were a week. good sounding board. You brought up some interesting <laughs> things. I really, I'm going to have to go do some more research into what they were talking about with this, like, potential 3D audio bullshit on the PS5, because, yeah. like, that's, that gets the, like, I know exactly enough about audio design to make my audition sound good and to make this podcast sound good. But that got my like fledgling audio engineer brain going like, think Tell of the possibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that sounds cool. And I, I, I don't know, like this is a, this is a challenge that every game kind of has to come up with. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's no correct answer. Every game's aesthetic is going to bring with it different, like, amounts that they want to lean into the more gamey non-diegetic heads up display side or trying to fit as much stuff they, as they can into the diegetic world and like for what it's worth i think tsushima still looks really cool tsushima might get me to buy a ps4 <laughs> uh, i'm excited for tsushima um if only because i i still need to play sekiro and like i enjoyed neo but i i kind of wanted a more historical fiction yeah type of um Feudal Japan game. Yeah. Um, but, and Tsushima's, uh, from the looks of it, scratches that itch. Yeah, it, it looks really cool. And, I don't know, I'm excited to, if not get my hands on it right away, I'm definitely gonna, like, see if I can find people doing Let's Plays of it, just so I can, like, see it in action in its final form. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's all I've got for it. If you, the listener, uh, can think of any games that you know and love that play around with the ideas of like interesting balances between diegetic and non-diegetic uh, info dumps for the player. Let us know through our social media handles that Dylan's going to tell you just as soon as I say, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And if you want to know more about us or get in touch with us, the best way to do that is through our website, bsgpod.com, where you can find a contact form and info about us and the show. And wherever you get your podcast, whether it's the Apple Podcast Service, Spotify, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, remember to uh, rate, review, tell people about us, share us with your friends and family. Give us to somebody who's having a rough time of it here during these periods of social distancing and let us be their new ears best friends. Their new ears? I, look, <laughs> look. Um. <laughs> 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 Anyway, thank you for uh, telling me uh, about the social media thing because I forgot to open up this page earlier. <laughs> um, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. Um, also, uh, like Chris was saying earlier, you know, talk to us about uh, diegetic games, games that do cool diegetic things. And while you're at it, maybe use that hashtag BSG pod. 
Please do. <laughs> um, also, a huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. Um, if you dig his stuff and you want to check out more of it, you can find him on his Squarespace, brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-french.squarespace.com. Or you can find him on Instagram.com slash Brennan French Arts or on Twitter at Brennan underscore French. Thank you also to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio, Volume 1, Instrumentality. He's a great musician, a great electronica composer, and you can find all of his stuff by going to soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by checking out BioQuery on Spotify. Thank you also to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of podcasts about video games. If you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs. They've got things about news, things about fandom, things about development, all kinds of cool stuff. So go check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. And thank you, as always, to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Thanks to you, we are able to make this show without losing money, and we are hopefully able to give you something back in return that you find worthwhile and if you out there like our show and want to help support it the best way to do that is by sharing or heading to patreon.com slash bsgpod that's all i got for today we'll talk to you again on thursday and until then goodbye goodbye